This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shao Ik. Leading up to World Hospice and Palliative Care Day on the 14th of October, we have been featuring various perspectives once a month of uh, living and dying well. And the idea is to challenge the norms in healthcare and society when it comes to death. And in line with that, our episode of Humans of Healthcare today features a palliative care physician, Dr. Liu Kian Yu from Hospital Ampang. And I'll be discussing with him the role of a palliative care physician in alleviating suffering of patients regardless of the stage of disease they're in and what kind of training and skills are required for the kind of job that he does. Dr. Liu, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. This is such an honour. Maybe we can start with helping us to understand what is the field of palliative care? Um, what exactly do you take care of when a patient comes to see you or, or perhaps is referred to your care? Yeah, so I, I think the most popular definition of palliative care comes from the World uh, Health Organization in 2002 in which it says that palliative care is an approach in medicine that seeks to maybe improve the quality of life of the patients and family members that are faced with life-threatening illness. And what are these life-threatening illness? These life-threatening illness are things such as uh, advanced cancer, advanced organ failure, or people who are just very frail, who are suffering from advanced dementia, advanced Parkinson's disease, and so on and so forth. So what we typically do is that we try to really talk to them. We carefully assess them before we administer treatment. Um, so that this treatment could be coming from a physical perspective, psychological perspective, spiritual perspective, or even social perspective. So I'd like to give an example, um, maybe in the case of uh, advanced cancer. So with a lady who has breast cancer, maybe. So typically from a physical point of view, she will be suffering from pain from the tumor itself. And what we do is we try to alleviate the pain by giving medications. Of course, we know that as humans, um, having a life-threatening illness also means that you'll be very fearful of your own condition. You have worries about the cancer, whether the treatments are working or not. And we seek to alleviate them, just getting them to talk about it so that we could stop it from becoming something even more dire, such as maybe anxiety disorders or even depression, you know. Occasionally, we do see people with spiritual needs. And these are people who come to me and talk about, why me, doctor? Why did I get cancer? Why am I the chosen one to get cancer? And we talk to them about it. And of course, we do not forget that in a lady with breast cancer, maybe she is a mother or maybe is an income earner. Maybe there are social needs that needs to be addressed. So that's probably what I do when I see a person that is in front of me. Very, very um, wide-ranging different roles, which we will get into um, in terms of how are you as a professional equipped to take care of so such varied needs. But uh, to come back to, again, what is palliative care and perhaps some misconceptions about what it is not as well. Um, You know, we've had several palliative care physicians um, speak to us on the show as well. And the one thing they're always quick to um, highlight is that it's not just about end of life or, or terminal care. It's not only when you see a palliative care physician, that's the end of the road for you. So so a little bit about that from your perspective, Dr. Liu. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, we there's a lot of misconceptions about palliative care and these are really, really documented in evidence-based medicine all over the world, even in the developed countries. Yes, I do agree that to a certain degree, our specialty has been associated with terminal care or end-of-life care. So inevitably, we are always associated with death and dying, when in actual fact, we are all about living. We are all about caring for our patients and making them have the best of their lives until their death. So it's all about living. It's not really about death and dying. Death and dying is just a natural process of life that we recognize. And we know that death in certain uh, situations where even the best medical practices, you know, um, is applied and the patient's life cannot be prolonged. So we term this as uh, medical futility. So in such situations, we say that we do not stop caring for the patient. We continue to strive to provide comfort care for these patients. I always quote this. So to cure sometimes to comfort always. This is a medical term that rings true even till today. Have you always personally felt like this about death and dying? Um, no, I would just say that in the, for the best part of my life, uh, in my career as a doctor, you know, so I'm a trained internal medicine specialist, you know. So a lot of times I think I felt that my goal was always to prolong lives. But sometimes uh, when, when I started dwelling into palliative care, and I find that sometimes when we prolong people's life, it doesn't equal quality of life. So it got me, it started to get me thinking and I started to realize that quality of life is really a different ballgame altogether. So, and quality of life means different things to different people. So it is very important that we use quality of life uh, as the benchmark rather than prolonging lives as a benchmark. And we should do all of this in accordance to the patient needs and wants, uh, the preferences and the values of, of theirs. Mm-hmm. So historically, um, you know, from what I could read about, uh, the idea of a hospice at least um, is traced back to the early medieval ages as a place to give, you know, weary travellers respite from the road, mm. especially pilgrims to the Holy Land. Um, but that's perhaps uh, going a bit too far into the history books, but, but perhaps in a more modern sense, right? Palliative care as a medical discipline. Mm. Uh, can you share a little bit about sort of how it has evolved? Yeah, so I, I'm not a historian uh, in palliative medicine, but I, I can share a little bit. So the modern hospice movement start, is started by this lady called Dame Cecilia Saunders, and she is really the founder of palliative care medicine, perhaps the mother of all of us uh, today. Um, and she, she started this in 1960s in England, whereas the term palliative care is actually started in Canada in 1973. Um, so there are actually no differences between these two. Perhaps in certain countries such as ours, hospice care is used to distinguish palliative care that is administered to patients in their homes. That means this is done in the community. Mm. Uh, essentially, it's still palliative care at heart. It's just the, the place that is administered. And hospice care means that we do home visits into the patient's home. Mm. We administer palliative care to them. So we know that a patient might have life-threatening illness and as time goes by, they get weaker and weaker. So what better way than to provide care to them in their own home, at the comfort of their homes? 
Mm, okay. Um, what inspired you to go into this field, Dr. Lee? You said you were trained in internal medicine first yeah. and, and the view there, I suppose, the approach to medicine. Is, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just want to share one story. Uh, so, it, it being in the field of internal medicine, uh, typically in the government hospital, I do see a lot of people with organ failures. So, I just want to share a story about a gentleman that I see and he has a lung condition called chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Disease. And we know that this is a progressive disease. And so happened this gentleman was at the advanced level and he suffers from breathlessness. So initially, I would be seeing him in the hospital annually. So he gets annual admissions to the hospital. And over time, these annual admissions become monthly admissions and monthly admissions become weekly admissions mm. to, to the point that it's really bad that we discharge him the next day he'll be back in the emergency department. And so happened at that point of time, I think um, a palliative care physician was running his services, his visiting, visiting services to Hospital Ampang. His name is Dr. Richard Lim and he's actually the national advisor to palliative care in the Ministry of Health. And he came over and I saw how he compassionately talked to the patient. I think he took a very thorough history. He carefully assessed the patient before he administered treatment. And with that just one encounter, um, the patient was able to be discharged. And I took the liberty of following him up in the clinic. And to my surprise, the next admission was actually a few months down the road. Uh, we also referred him to the uh, hospice, community hospice for care. So, um, you know, I felt convicted after seeing the success, you know, the effective treatment uh, that is given by Dr. Richard Lim. And from then on, no doubts, I felt convicted to pursue the field of palliative care medicine. Mm. What, what was it that made such a difference to the patient? I think it's just the human touch, uh, getting them to, to talk to us, to tell them we really, really care and we look into this very deeply and we assess this from a physical point of view. Uh, we keep the human aspect, we assess his psychological aspect, spiritual aspect as well as his social needs. Mm. I think a lot of times uh, palliative care, how I term it is that we put an emphasis on humanity back into medicine. Mm. So we do not view a patient only as a disease, we view them as humans. So I think with the human touch, the trust is there, the rapport is built. And when you administer uh, your treatment, it's more effective because research has shown that if there is trust, if there's rapport, the patient tends to be more compliant to the treatment, to what you recommend. And it's a shared decision making. So you empower them as well. So they get a sense of control over their disease. Mm. And when this happens, you will see miracles happen. Yeah. Um, what uh, had you intended to pursue at first? Um, yeah, I, this is a very good question because a lot, of, a lot of times people has been expecting me to do something uh, other than palliative care. Um, so I would like to say that I, I find that in the field of medicine, every field is very interesting if you just dwell deeper. Um, so at the very beginning, I don't really have any idea until the encounter with the patient. And that tells me that, hey, you know, no doubts, I really need to do palliative medicine. 
All right. We'll continue this conversation after a quick break. I'm speaking to Dr. Liu Qianyu, palliative care physician from Hospital Ampang for Humans of Healthcare today. And this is sort of uh, as part of a monthly series leading up to World Hospice and Palliative Care Day on the 14th of October. So we'll come back uh, to discuss with Dr. Liu um, what does it take to become a palliative care physician. Stay tuned to Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Xiaoik. In the studio with me for this month's episode of Humans of Healthcare is Dr. Liu Qianyu, a palliative care physician from Hospital Ampang. He's been sharing what inspired him to enter this particular field and uh, some uh, very valuable and memorable encounters uh, that have helped him to sort of solidify the idea that uh, this is the career path or the profession, the vocation for for him. So on that note, Dr. Liu, because um, before the break, you talked about um, that one encounter with a patient as well as a very senior palliative care physician um, that sort of flicked that switch, I suppose, in your mind. Um, so if you were to put yourself in the shoes of other, especially the young medical graduates today who are probably thinking about their specialization path. Um, what do you think their perception is based on what they've been exposed to? Yeah, so this is a good question. I would just say that the awareness of palliative care right now um, in, in our country, it's very low. Um, I would say that as a medical graduate uh, in my earlier days, I haven't gotten any exposure to palliative care at all. So I don't really expect anyone to know anything at all about palliative care. So if you were to talk, to ask me whether you know uh, the younger generation would like to specialize in palliative care, how are they to know what they want to specialize in when they don't even know the existence of palliative mm. care and what we do? Mm. So I think the awareness is very low at this point uh, in our country. Mm. Yeah. What What do you think? What would you like to see to improve that? Then? Yeah, I, I mean, there are uh, calls uh, not only in Malaysia, but all over the world to have um, med the medical curriculum improved by incorporating palliative care syllabus into them. So uh, then that's not only to the medical profession, that's also to the nursing profession as well. That means not only to doctors, but also to nurses. Mm. So I think this, this will really help to improve understanding and awareness about palliative care. Mm. So that basic introduction first, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then that would sort of broaden their horizons. Yeah. So then... These are the same medical graduates who go on to become healthcare professionals. And all of you, at some point in your career, need to talk to your patients about pain and death and dying, yeah. right? And, yeah. and um, you said that as a palliative care physician, um, you have that different lens uh, in order to look at these issues with your patients. But I guess then other healthcare professionals, because they don't have the benefit of the training, yeah. it must be difficult then. What, what is their perception of, of what you do? Yeah, I, I think the team is commonly the same. Uh, there is poor understanding of palliative care among the medical profession. I think while some of my colleagues fel felt that it is important, there are others who feel that this is simply a manner of nursing for the dying. Um, some feels that it is too simple and does not need to be looked at from a specialization point of view. Um, and often this has led to a late in referral to our care. 
So a lot of patients who are already in terminal stage, they suffer a lot. And when they are referred late, they really suffer from their symptoms. So, you know, I feel that with the improved awareness of what we can do, we can really alleviate the suffering of these people. Mm. Um, so I think it has to start somewhere that uh, we need to impart awareness to not only the medical undergraduates, but also to uh, specialised people in their respective uh, medical fields. Yeah. yeah. So do you even have to have sort of like these one-on-one you know, um, conversations with your peers. Yeah, and, and maybe on a on on a local setting. Uh, maybe in the hospital, uh, along the corridor. Sometimes we will have some conversations about the patient, especially if the referral is coming from the primary team. Mm. Um, on a larger note, uh, you would see that all of us uh, palliative care physicians, especially the state palliative care physicians, they conduct palliative care update regularly, mm. uh, at least annually, la, just to create awareness. La. And I think platforms such as this could also help increase the awareness about palliative care. Mm. And, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the general perception of palliative care among the public being linked to uh, the terminal end, right? Mm. Um, also, from the perspective of, of the general public, do you find people uh, saying to you, does palliative care equal euthanasia? Ah, that's a very interesting question. Um, so uh, euthanasia, it's not very common. That's not the common questions that mm. I get from the public. Uh, many members of the public associate palliative care with terminal care or end-of-life care, when in actual fact, palliative care can go hand-in-hand hand with curative treatment. Uh, while the primary team administer their treatment, the palliative care team can focus on symptoms management to provide more comfort. Again, this is a universal problem. Studies in Canada and developed countries have shown that, you know, uh, people just have a, the general public have a stigma towards palliative care to even the extent that some patients who are under palliative care team care, um, they withhold the fact that they are receiving palliative care from their friends and family for fear of stigmatization. Mm. So um, I haven't gotten much questions about palliative care and euthanasia. Uh, but really, there's a distinct uh, difference between palliative care and euthanasia. We are pro-life. We are not pro-death. Mm. We are pro-living until the day that you die. We are pro-making uh, the best of your lives until you die. So we are not about euthanasia. We are not about death. So coming to, I guess, more the, the nuts and bolts of things, um, how does one um, specialise in palliative care? Oh, this uh, this is so variable. Uh, I, I I had to tag some of my colleagues who completed their training quickly because I'm one of the uh, more average one uh, when it comes to com- uh, the duration of time to complete my training. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one has to be trained as an internal medicine specialist to begin with, and in the in the Ministry of Health, it takes somewhere between I think earliest lah maybe between eight to 10 years, just to finish your training as an internal medicine physician. Mm. After that, you get to apply uh, to pursue the subspecialty program of palliative care. And when you get in, it's another three years of training. Mm -hmm. So we are really talking about somewhere between uh, the earliest, I guess, between 12 to 15 years before you can actually be certified as a palliative care physician in the Ministry of Health. Mm. Um, can this um, specialization be done locally? 
Ah uh, yes, uh, it's done locally. Um, so you can do so. It's the, in that three years we undergo training uh, in government hospitals, particularly in palliative care units as well as oncology units. We also get to spend some time in the hospice in the community. Um, in that three years, some of us would opt to go overseas, maybe to learn from other palliative care centers and to bring back the best elements from there to assimilate, assimilate into the local community. Mm. Um, so I guess uh, there are some of us who opt to do everything locally. Mm. Uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's acceptable as yep. well. Yep. Mm. Um, so what exactly do you do in this three-year training? Because uh, you talked about such varied skills earlier, like you have to help patients um, you know, go through the ex- existential issues they are facing, their anxiety, even social issues if they are worried about um, their income, taking care of their kids, um, playing the role of a spouse and so on. So walk us through that training. Yeah, so typically my day starts off by uh, seeing patients. Um, I think by seeing patients, it sharpens our skills. We can gain a lot of experience um, just by our everyday work. Um, so we kept, we still do impeccable assessment on these patients and this is part of the definition that's advocated by World Health Organization. So it's really clinical medicine and so much more. We see the patients, we do proper history taking, we examine them and then we assess them properly. And then after that, we continue to get more history from a social point of view. We want to know about them and their family, who are, who is going to be the one that's taking care of them uh, at a time when they are too ill to take care of, on the, of themselves. Mm. Certain people would have uh, problems with financial um, and hence we try to assess and see how we can help them. It does help that we have things such as Magna, we have things such as My Salam that can help uh, with to reduce some of the financial burden. And then perhaps, you know, from a psychological point of view, a lot of times just by getting them to talk you know, it, it will help uh, to solve matters. Uh, spiritually, uh, again, it's all about talking, just getting them to talk about it. Of course, uh, if the if the issue it becomes a bit deeper, we might need to get help from other specialties. Perhaps from the psychological point of view, we will get the help of psychologists or even psychiatrists. Mm, yeah. So um, it's really all about talking to the patients, getting to know them better. And by knowing them better, seeing them as a whole person and addressing them, then we can administer our the, the treatment in accordance with the patient's needs. Mm-hmm. So you really get to know patients, yeah, the, the we, individual, right? Yeah, we really get to build meaningful relationships with all our patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess a little bit on the more uh, clinical, professional side of it, um, can you further specialise some more? Oh, um, th- we, we don't have formal further specialization, but the field of palliative care is so vast. I think uh, we not only have to have the skills of internal medicine, we also have to make sure that we have skills of a surgeon or even oncologist because cancer often involves the surgical uh, team as well as the oncological team. So the area is just so vast and there's multiple opportunities that we can further specialize to. So, for example, in the field of kidney failure, you know, we have this renal palliative in which we provide palliative care to people with advanced kidney failure. We try to alleviate their sufferings. So often we have collaborations with the kidney specialists in order to deliver care. Um, Another example will probably in the field of cardio. 
you know, we have cardiopalliative care. So as you can see, there are just so many examples and so many fields that we can further specialize in. Mm -hmm. I think uh, on a recent note, a lot of people has been talking about advanced care planning. Um, and so this is gaining popularity. So that is really another field that we can further uh, expand. Um, talk in talking to patients about what how they want to be cared for at a time when they have no mental capacity to decide for themselves in accordance to their values and preferences. And often these are conversations that start in your clinic, right? Yeah, I think advanced care planning. A lot of times you would you would see that the initiators will probably be from the palliative care field. Yeah, mm. I think caregivers themselves will be going through so much. It will be so difficult to for them to even think about this. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's just involves a lot of communication skills. Um, uh, we do not uh, force the patient to talk about it if they are not comfortable, but rather we just let them. Uh, you know, we just put some suggestions and see where the conversation goes, and if they are comfortable to talk more about it. Then you know we let them lead the conversation, and then we talk more and more about advanced care planning. So, speaking of communication skills and 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 all of this, um, what kind of traits do you think makes a good palliative care physician? <laughs> uh, I I wouldn't say that there are particular traits that one must have in order to join the palliative care field because I think the essence of palliative care means that we respect each person's individuality. But if you do ask me what are the strengths, what are the quality strengths that one might have to go into palliative care, I think it will be uh, the desire to always care for others. I think when you have a desire to always care for others, naturally to the desire to provide comfort comes. Um, any, uh, I suppose, memorable, uh, any other memorable moments uh, in palliative care so far that you'd like to share with us? I think there are so many highlights and memorable moments that I have experienced so far in my young career. But if I were to choose one, I would say that it would have to be the opportunity to be able to talk to the patients each day. I'm always very fascinated with each patient's story. I often find myself learning from them on other aspects of life in terms of experiences in life, how they have, uh, handle difficult situations, how they cope in difficult situations, and how they handle uh, difficult relationships. Seeing how family members come together to support the patients, all of these encounters just warm the heart. So yeah, seeing and talking to patients, that is perhaps the most fulfilling part of my job. How do you handle the difficult situations? What are some um, challenging uh, incidents that you have encountered? I think it's very important to, to, to know that as palliative care physicians, whenever we are talking to the patients and their family members and whenever they are undergoing some really tough situations, our job is not to solve them. Sometimes it's just to uh, get them to talk about it, having a venue for them to express themselves, to voice out the difficulties itself is helpful because um, in such situations, sometimes the patients and the family members themselves, they already know that there are no solutions. It's just having a venue for them to tell the problems. I think that is our role. Mm -hmm. And if there's solutions, we try to help. If there are no solutions, it's just getting them to talk about it. Very much like what a counsellor does. Uh, maybe, maybe you can say so. Yeah. yeah. Um, so much of the job is also listening to people pour out their hearts about what most distresses them. I, I mean, not, not all the time. 
some of it is hopeful, I'm sure as well. But um, do, do, have you ever felt burnout or do you think other colleagues in this field experience burnout? I think, yeah. So one of my mentor actually shared about this with me. So we are in the field of caring for others. So typically, these terms such as burnout comes to play. Um, and I think with the COVID-19, uh, there's, a lot of ver- there's a lot of talk about burnout amongst healthcare professionals. But most importantly, what my mentor shared with me was that before we have each consultation, it is very important that we do not put our own values into the conversation. And we treat each person objectively. I think, and we ha- also have to have a self-awareness of what our values mean when we are consulting a patient. So we have to put our values aside and the story has to be all about the patient and their caregivers. Mm. So we do not put ourselves into the consultation, but rather we put our patients first. Mm. So by do, having this self-awareness, not putting our own values, I think it helps with not burning out. Mm. Mm. Of course, there are other things that I do. Uh, I really love sports. I love endurance sports. So I think running helps, I think swimming helps, and I think cycling helps. Mm. So all of these things are perhaps where, uh, where as I perform and I train in all these sports, uh, that's where I reflect on the patients so that I don't get burnout. Mm-hmm. That, that's to ensure resilience. Mm. But within the field, would you say that that lens of caring um, is equally turned on yourselves so that you feel open to speak to your fraternity if... Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, I think uh, all of us... Uh, so with, for myself personally, I do have regular uh, chats with people of the same fraternity that I'm close with because I find that just by talking about it um, and sharing views and opinions on how to handle certain difficult situations, it helps. Lah. And, you know... I might be facing this situation, but my colleague would have faced this previously and he or she could actually offer advice to me on how to handle such situations. Mm. Um, I want to sort of uh, look a little bit um, bigger picture yep. at what the situation is like for palliative care in Malaysia um, and are uh, members of the public and uh, people who really need it and their caregivers able to access palliative care, especially I think in the public sector where probably resources are more scarce. Um, how, how many palliative care physicians like yourself are there in public health? Yeah, I think at this point of time, uh, in uh, by April 2023, uh, because we, had, we just had our meeting, I think there are a total of 22 of us uh, currently in the Ministry of Health. For uh, the whole country. Ah, yes. And of course, we are a small subspecialty compared to others, uh, but our numbers are really growing. And as we speak, I think within these few months, more will be completing their their training soon. Mm. But of course, it really does help that we also have uh, hospices that provide palliative care in the community. Mm. And that that, that gives some solace to our hearts. (laughs) Um, So uh, there are 30... Uh, non-governmental organizations, hospices, we call them currently in the country, la, except in the state of Perlis. Mm. 28 offers visiting uh, services in which they go to the patient's home and administer care, while two offer inpatient hospice services. La. And I, if I'm not mistaken, that is in the state of Penang as well as Johor. Mm. Mm. So where do you think the biggest disparities are? Where is the greatest need? 
I think uh, like any other uh, uh, field of medicine in, in Malaysia, I feel that perhaps uh, palliative care is really much very uh, needed, especially in the outskirts uh, of cities. So a lot of the hospices are now, uh, their, their attention are all focused mainly in the big cities. Mm. Whereas we find that in the outskirts, there are not many hospice services. So I guess, you know, uh, like any other fields in, of medicine in Malaysia, I think the outskirts are still very much needing palliative care. Mm. So as um, I guess you are sort of a, a newer, younger generation of palliative care physicians, you know, um, what would you like to be involved in to close this gap? Um, I find that uh, what I can offer is uh, maybe I can relate more towards the newer generation. And we know that as time goes by uh, with, with, uh, with different generations, there are a different way of doing things. So maybe what I, I could do is I could do a bit more traveling to spread awareness and give talks and so on and so forth. But otherwise, other than that, what we can continue to do is that Maybe we would like to call ourselves a bit more tech savvy. So uh, no, no, uh, no offense to the older generation <laughs> here, <laughs> but uh, with 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 the ability to be able to do more techy stuff, I think we can engage more with the not only the local community but also with the international community. And with that, you know, we can perhaps uh, bring up the field of palliative care medicine mm. because it starts with that. Um, you need more people to be interested yeah. to pursue it, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, what about the profession itself? Um, are there challenges that um, your fraternity faces that you'd like to see uh, some policies being put in place to address? Uh, I think uh, there are many policies that's already put in place. It's more to strengthen this policy and to carry out these policies. Um, going back to my earlier statement, what I would really like to see is maybe palliative care being incorporated in medical undergraduate uh, syllabus as well as nursing syllabus. And maybe palliative care should also be incorporated to some specialization courses or, or syllabus. Because inevitably in every field of palliative care, uh, in every field of specialization, uh, you will be dealing uh, with an advanced version of that disease. Yeah. And all of these people will eventually need palliative care. Yeah. So just to... Uh, get all these specialists, these medical undergraduates or nursing undergraduates to know about palliative care would be really, really helpful. Mm. Uh, what about places for specialization? Do you think they're sufficient right now? Um, I think at this point of time, it, it does cater to our needs because um, we, we are a small fraternity and uh, I think there are adequate uh, centres uh, all over the country to provide palliative care training and we also need to undergo oncology training so they are adequate uh, at this point of time I mm, feel mm. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap up with uh, final words of wisdom <laughs> Dr. Words of <laughs> uh, for, for those listening today who have heard about per first your personal sort of journey but also uh, professionally what it entails um, for those who may be interested in this career um, how and why would you encourage them to pursue it yeah, I, I find working in palliative care being deeply fulfilling. Uh, we strive to make meaningful differences in the patient's lives by providing comfort. We manage their symptoms and address their emotional and spiritual needs. Um, 
we also often build meaningful relationships with our patients and their families, especially those that has been receiving our care for longer periods of time. This really allows us to build strong bonds and provide continuous support, which is incredibly rewarding. On a personal note, I find it enriching to my personal growth. It deepens my understanding of life, death and human suffering, and it helps me to develop resilience in life. Thank you so much, Dr. Liu. I've been speaking to Dr. Liu Kian Yu, a palliative care physician uh, for today's episode of Humans of Healthcare right here on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.